joining us for another one-up episode of the Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast. Due to my work schedule at this time of the year, the subject of today's show was intended to be the 1980 classic space-themed shoot-'em-up, Asteroids. But work has a tendency to find a way to throw monkey wrenches into the best of podcasting plans. So, instead, we are going to be discussing something else related to Atari. That is, the top 5 Activision games that were released for the Atari 2600. Remember, being a 1-up episode, this is a shorter than normal episode, and I hope that things are a little more lighter, and not so information-packed as the typical show. I guess what I'm saying is that 1-up shows should be fun little bonus episodes. Much like with our top 5 list on the 1-Up podcast for Magic Games, I've taken the nearly 50 games that Activision produced and fed them through the Vault computer. It took 3 days of non-stop compiling of both graphics and gameplay, but we finally have a top 5 list that I can share with you. Coming in at number 5... We have Hero, which was designed by John Van Ryzen and released 35 years ago, back in 1984. An excellent action game where the player takes on the role of Roderick Hero, or our hero, as he is sometimes called. A brave adventurer that is tasked with attempting to rescue miners that have been trapped in the mine shafts of Mount Leon. Our hero only has a limited amount of power before he loses one of his extra lives. Thankfully, he has a backpack helicopter unit that allows him to fly down shafts and over gaps if need be, and he will need to use that. In addition, our hero also possesses a helmet that contains a micro laser beam which players can use to zap the various enemies like nesting snakes, spiders, and shaft bats that attempt to stop the rescue of those trapped miners throughout the stages. The beam is powerful and can even cut through the walls that block the player, given enough time. Using that micro-laser beam, however, does put a strain on the power reserves. Our hero also has access to sticks of dynamite. They can be used to detonate walls and save some of that precious power. Just be sure not to get caught in its blast when it goes off. Hero, by the way, stands for Helicopter Emergency Rescue Operation. And I've read the game will end if you manage to obtain a million points. For what it might be worth, if you had scored at least 75,000 points, you could have taken a photo of your TV screen with its score and sent it off to Activision to earn yourself the Order of the Hero patch. Sadly, I personally was never good enough to earn that patch. In the number 4 slot, we have 1983's Robot Tank. 
the then-future-themed shoot-'em-up that allowed players to take control of a robot tank in an effort to halt the rebels who are using their own robot tanks to begin an assault on downtown Santa Clara. Which was, in the instruction manual, I might add, a call of duty from the President of the United States. Robot Tank was designed by Alan Miller. Journey with me to the year 2019. The person sitting in this chair has the power to alter the course of history. Conflicts are now settled with remote-controlled robot tanks. Tank after tank, through nights and days and fog and rain. And the smallest mistake could mean defeat. Of course, it'll probably never come to this. After all, who could take the pressure? Could you? For the Atari 2600, robot tank designed by Alan Miller for Activision. Friends, I miss the days when video game companies were making TV commercials like this one. I think it's fair to say that Robot Tank was most assuredly inspired by Atari's Battlezone, which received a port to the Atari 2600 in 1983. The thing is, with Miller's Robot Tank, he did Battlezone one better. He included snow, rain, and fog conditions that altered the visibility of the enemy tanks, in addition to night and day effects. Plus, your tank could be damaged from enemy fire, affecting four functions on your vehicle. If the video monitor is on the fritz, your view screen would go out occasionally. If the treads were hit, it meant that your speed was reduced to practically a crawl. Your cannon could be damaged too. While your weapon will never stop altogether, it generally means the time you need it the most, it would misfire. Last but not least is your radar. Which, if you lose that, you'll have no idea how close the other squadron of enemy robot tanks are to your own vehicle, without seeing them on the view screen. Assuming that is still in operation. Another thing to keep in mind is if the player loses these functions, they are out for that tank's life. They can't be repaired. And one of the things I remember most when playing this game is when you did lose a life, you were treated to a rather delightful looking static interference image. To make things a little easier, you could control your tank's shot. By aiming with the crosshairs, after it had been fired, you could be sure to hit an enemy tank. And even stop return shots by hitting them with your own. Where Hero had one patch you could earn from Activision, you could possibly get three with Robot Tank. If you defeated four squadrons. Squadrons are made up of 12 tanks. So, if you destroyed 48 tanks and snapped a shot of the screen and sent it in, you would earn yourself the Medal of Merit patch. Five squadrons, or 60 enemy robot tanks, would net you the Cross of Excellence patch. And then, for six squadrons, or having dispatched 72 enemy tanks, you could hold your head up higher than the other kids with the Star of Honor patch. The number three top title by Activision for the Atari 2600 is Kaboom, which was released in 1981 and designed by Larry Kaplan, although David Crane has been said to have coded the sprites for the Mad Bomber, the crazed foe who resides at the top of the screen and is happily lobbing bombs towards the bottom, forcing players to use their Atari paddles to catch the falling explosives in buckets of water, which, at the start of the game, are stacked on top of each other. If a bomb manages to slip through, and they will, all the bombs that are on the screen will explode, costing the player one of those buckets, making it harder to catch the next wave of bombs. 
In later stages, the action gets incredibly frantic, to say the least. With the Mad Bomber zipping along the top of the screen, dropping explosives at an increased rate. You can earn an extra bucket, up to a maximum of three, for every 1,000 points earned. In a whimsical bit of programming, the Mad Bomber will have a great big smile on his face if you miss one of his drop bombs. But when you are catching them, this video game foe will start to frown. Actually, I read that Kaboom is supposedly the result of Kaplan wanting to make a port of Atari's Avalanche arcade game. Kaboom was also an incredibly popular game, selling over 1 million copies by 1983. If your nerves were steady enough and you could amass 3,000 points, after snapping a photo of the TV screen, you could earn yourself the Bucket Brigade patch. But if you somehow managed to score 999,999 points, it sounds like you would earn yourself a different patch, a stripe that could be attached to the original or possibly under the patch. That was the Almost Million Mark patch. I found some of that information on Atari Age, but I've yet to see the patch itself. So it must be very rare. Although it's worth noting that in the manual it mentions such remarkable achievement must be recognized. So you think you're fast enough to beat the bomber? I don't think so. Kaboom! By Activision. Plug this cartridge into your Atari video game system and get ready to handle high explosives. Don't sneeze. Don't even blink. Because the faster you get, the faster he gets. And if you miss... Kaboom! By Activision. Alright. In the number two slot, we have... 1982's River Raid by Carol Shaw. This vertical scrolling shooter was one that I can remember my fellow schoolmates talking about when it was released. In fact, I was able to borrow the game for about a week from a fellow student in typing class in junior high. One week of playing this exceptional game, and I was visiting my local KB toy store with my grandmother, who was kind enough to buy the game for me. And let me tell you something, she was no slouch with this game. Of course, she got to play it while I was in school, so she had more practice. River Raid presented a colorful bird's eye view. Players controlled their jet fighter by way of a joystick, flying over the river of no return, blasting enemy tankers, helicopters, and jets, as well as the various bridges that attempted to stop your entry into the next area. While dodging the landscape and enemies moving across the stages, a player also had to keep their eye on their fuel gauge. By pressing up on the joystick, the jet would fly faster. Obviously, pulling back on the joystick would slow down your speed. If you flew over the fuel tanks, it would replenish reserves. Or if you found that you had been topped off, you could just blast it for extra points. Friends, let me tell you, it takes a steady hand in the later stages to bank right and left quick enough to make it through the channels and bays of the River of No Return. While the gameplay for River Raid was 
pretty simple. It was also incredibly challenging. Earning 15,000 points after snapping a photo of your TV and sending it to Activision got you the River Raiders patch. And like with Kaboom, the manual states that if you obtain a million points, they wanted you to send in a photo of this feat. But there's no mention of receiving anything extra for the effort. Although, the score will revert to exclamation marks. This is something I'm very happy to share that has happened at the Arcadia Retrocade. I can remember a player spending a little over an hour, if I recall correctly, to achieve this score. We have no choice, he can't turn back. River Raid target at 039 under control. Approaching an airspeed 626. Taking West Canyon. Good call. Fuel critical, sir. Chopper's at 3 o'clock. Roger, I copy. Time is closing, shall I direct something? No, he'll decide that. Fuel critical, sir. He knows that. Sir, he's opting for the East Canyon. Negative, that's a trap. River Raid to home sweet home. River Raid, can you make it? River Raid, can you make it? It's only a game. River Raid for the Atari video computer system. Designed by Carol Shaw for Activision. Okay, we have reached the number one Activision game for the Atari 2600, and it is... 1983's Oink by Mike Lorenzen? Wait a minute, that can't be right. It's a great game to be sure, but let me check something here. Plaque attack? Alright, that's it. The vault computer has more bugs in it than a bait shop. Let me see if this ball-peen hammer can help. Now, that is more like it. The number one Activision game for the Atari 2600, as compiled by the remains of the vault computer, is Pitfall by David Crane, which was released in 1982. One of the early side-scrolling platform games, Crane created a juggernaut, selling over 4 million copies in total, and it stayed in the number one spot on the Billboard video game charts for over a year. It's heavy! I found a way to the gold! Pitfall by Activision? Quick, to the Atari video computer system! Here, show us! First, climb down the underground passage, oh, yeah. leap over scorpions, set, <gasps> swing over the swamp, crocodile! The gold! Ah. <laughs> Did I mention the tar pits? <laughs> Pitfall, a jungle adventure game designed by David Crane from Activision. Pitfall had players stepping into the shoes of renowned explorer Pitfall Harry, who has 20 minutes to attempt to obtain the 32 treasures that are scattered throughout the jungle. Using the tunnels at the bottom of the screen that advanced the screen by three, players had to learn to double back after climbing out from the tunnels, all the while trying to avoid deadly obstacles such as quicksand, snakes, scorpions, pits, fire, and crocodiles. Dangers such as the rolling logs wouldn't kill you, but it did deduct points for you as long as the log or logs were in contact with Pitfall Harry. You could also lose 100 points at a time if you managed to fall through an opening into a tunnel below. The player must collect eight of each type of treasures, which are diamond rings, silver and gold bars, and pouches of money. Pitfall might be considered pretty simple these days, but the amount of fun that was had swinging over quicksand pits with a digital Tarzan yell is just as enjoyable today as it was when it first came out. 
If you had managed to earn 20,000 points and sent Activision a photograph of your deed, you would receive the Explorers Club patch, which I've always assumed gave you special privileges when you visited your local arcade back in the day. Pitfall really was kind of a game changer, and definitely helped to make Activision a powerhouse of a video game company in my opinion. Hey, just remember that Pitfall Harry was part of CBS's excellent Saturday Supercade Saturday Morning Cartoon series, at least for the first season, so that ought to show you how popular the game truly was. And for what it's worth, at the arcade, it still manages to be played on a pretty regular basis. Not just players who grew up with the game either. New generations of video game fans are finding the gameplay just as irresistible as we did. And friends, I think that about wraps up this one-up episode of the Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast. I can't help but wonder how reliable the Vault computer has been. I sure would be happy to hear about what games you feel should have been on the list. I mean, personally, I think that both Keystone Capers and Pressure Cooker should have been on there. As always, friends, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me in sharing my love of classic video games. Of course, I'm no expert, just a fan of such classic arcade and home console games, and enjoy talking about them. The Diary of an Arcade Employee is currently available on iTunes. I'm working on rebuilding the podcast library, a result of switching from the retro site to the pop culture retrorama one. You can check out daily posts there, by the way, by visiting www.popcultureretrorama.com. You can find out more about the Arcadia Retrocade by visiting Facebook. Or, for daily posts, you can check out the Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast Facebook page. I share all manner of vintage arcade and home console fun multiple times a day. If you have any feedback or comments about the podcast, you can always reach me on Facebook or throw me an email at vicsagepopculture at gmail.com. You can also often find me posting videos of the arcade on my Instagram account, which is simply vicsage underscore. I, of course, want to thank the Retroist. For over a decade, the Retroist provided a spot on the internet where fans of all things retro could visit and enjoy the best retro-related articles and podcasts. I certainly wouldn't have my own site or multiple podcasts without the Retroist support. This has been a Pop Culture Retro-Rama podcast. Thanks for listening. Goodbye, and have a better one. The Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast is not affiliated with or authorized by Activision, Atari, or any of the businesses and individuals that have been mentioned in the show. All music and sound clips from the mentioned video games are the property of the respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Audio clips are included for the purpose of review, criticism, and commentary only, and are not intended to infringe. End of line. <laughs>